Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. We have something a little different for you right now because today's show is sponsored. And it's sponsored by MailChimp, the world's leading email marketing platform. 12 million people use MailChimp every single day to connect to their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses. Send better email. Sell more stuff. So we appreciate that. Thank you, MailChimp. I've wanted to do a read for a sponsor forever. So that was a lot of fun. And this is a fun podcast. Welcome to the Limited Upside Podcast. Today was a great one. We did a two-parter. A lot was going on in the NBA, so we had to make it a two-parter. First, we had Tim Cato of SB Nation on. Tim uh, and Mike and myself all talked about teams who might want to tank. Is there a crop of teams this year who's different than in years past? So we kind of dive into that. We touched the Mavs, the Nuggets, the Wolves, the Wizards, among other teams. Uh, so it's an interesting one. Uh, in the second part of the podcast, you're going to hear us talking to Tom Ziller, also of SB Nation. Tom is a CBA guru. He's going to tell us all about this new collective bargaining agreement, one that was successfully put in place yesterday. Today is the 15th of December, so enjoy this. It means there's not going to be a lockout. And uh, Tom's going to do a good job of telling us why there's not going to be a lockout. So we enjoy that. Um, but before you listen to these podcasts, the, I guess we should say single podcast, before you listen to it, though, as always, we ask a few things of you. Please subscribe, rate, review, all those good things. Send us your questions. Give us your feedback. Tell us you like the new songs, the new song, the new theme music. That's all for you, the listeners. Um, and as always, send us those questions to MikePreda at SBNation.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at SBN at limited underscore upside and at epiben we take those questions to heart we use them in every podcast and we always appreciate the listeners giving us the input showing us your love and i think that you're very much going to enjoy this i don't know call it a custom limited upside podcast it's a two-parter we tap into the sb nation writers that we love to have on and enjoy the limited upside podcast Back, as always, I'm Ben Epstein, joined by Mike Prada and our guest today, a friend of the pod. He's been on a few times, but now he is officially an SB Nation NBA writer before he was Mavs Moneyball. You know him and you love him, Tim Cato. Thanks for joining us, bud. Hey, yeah, good to be here. Always fun. That's right. And and Mike, this is special for you, too, because this is this is the first time Tim's been on as a full-time national, I believe, yeah, SB Nation NBA yeah. writer. It's your absolutely. team. Yeah, no, absolutely. When we, uh, you've, you've met some of our new team, uh, and I am really excited. Um, I hope you guys also enjoyed the new intro song. Uh, we teased that we would do a new one, and we have found it. We're big fans of it. Uh, and yes. the logo, it's coming. You know, like a, we said last time, mom and pop uh, operation. <laughs> it takes a little yes. bit of time, but we'll, we're getting on the right track. And, uh, you know, so that is exciting. They had right. to you you brought in the theme song along with me as as full time contributor, so <laughs> I, I, I see how that works. It's a brand new way, basically. Yes, that too took a while to process. <laughs> <laughs> well, we moved slowly. I, what's that? There's like that military saying, like move fast but smart, or something like that. I don't know. One one of those Some quick but technical. Saying. That's kind of <laughs> kind of like that. I don't know. I should have had that. Uh, Got to bring effort on. Yeah, right. Alfred would have actually known that. Uh, and we should say that we had our theme song vetted by like people who have really popular national sports podcasts like Alfred and Dan Rubenstein. So we appreciate their input. We feel like it's fully vetted. Keep sending us those comments, though, um, as in like, we really like the new theme song. Great job, everybody. Thanks for listening to our advice. Stuff like that. Um, but 
We should start this off on a, I hate to say a somber note because he's one of the people who brought the most joy to the NBA of anybody. Um, today is the, the 15th of December um, in 2016. What a year for, for losing great people. Uh, and we lost Craig Sager today. Um, his, his fight with leukemia came to an end. He had you know, three bone marrow transplants. And at 65 years old, uh, the NBA, TNT, uh, and just fans of the sport, which is what he really was, uh, lost a great person. So I know we're all in mourning for that and and our thoughts are with his family uh, and then the overall NBA community uh, who's going to miss Craig Sager. And I know, Tim, you had a personal anecdote. So did I. And we might as well share these because he's somebody who who brought a lot of joy to each individual he was around. So, Tim, I know you said you mentioned you had a, a Craig Sager anecdote for us. Yeah, it's not it's not even an anecdote as much as that. I, I covered probably a dozen games last season during during the playoffs and uh, I, I attended a team USA scrimmage um, and I was you know probably about a dozen games that Craig Sager was at as well and I didn't have a relationship with him at all uh, unfortunately obviously you know I saw him I saw the way people interacted with him and I saw the just the respect he got uh, from from everybody uh, which was just you know kind of blows you away to just see someone you know he, he knows he knows just about everybody's name who's there you know and everybody everybody says hi and, and gives him a, a handshake or a nod um, but then the other the other just really, really cool thing is that, you know, I was in three or four different stadiums uh, with with Sager. And every time, you know, at every game that I can remember, he uh, he was shown on the Jumbotron and he got a standing ovation from everybody there. Um, and so that that just it just, you know, it, it's it's great. Uh, it was great when it was happening. And, you know, I, I think we all knew that this this sadly was was not going to, you know, go down the the way we were hoping but mm-hmm. it's it's it was great to see that and it was just every every moment was so cool to to be a part of yeah I, I agree and it's it's one of those things where there are very few people who who stand out for the right reasons um you know i, I say that he 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 made his own uh his path in what he wore i would say i was going to say he was a trailblazer pun intended with the <laughs> blazer part um, but, uh, thank you, Mike. Um, but, uh, but it really was, I mean, that, that was just a small part. Um, you know, the, the boldness and, and, and the colorful personality that he wore was, was really what he was. And I think you see that with the amount of respect that a guy like Greg Popovich always showed to him. I know that's an easy analogy to make, you know, pop hates everybody, but he loved Craig Sager. Um, but it's true. Um, and I, I can tell you from my personal experience, I took a, a subway ride once from Manhattan over to Brooklyn. Um, there was a, a college basketball game on TNT that Sager was was covering for the tournament, and uh, he was on the train next to me or in the subway car next to me. I saw him. I didn't want to make an, a scene of it or anything. This is a, a famous guy taking a subway car. And mind you, he's like six seven, six six, so he stood out a little bit. And uh, we got out of the subway. I pointed him in the right direction, shook his hand. There was no photo op or any of that stuff. I didn't want to take a picture or get an autograph. I was just happy, you know, a little bit overwhelmed to see somebody who I admired, uh, and who had celebrity being in every guy, um, being in every person taking that subway, getting out, walking around, you know, Brooklyn to find the Barclays center. And I always appreciated that. That was many years ago, like four or five years ago. Um, and so, uh, even with that being said, I know today with a heavy heart, the NBA will play and TNT will have its games. And, uh, and I know that the tributes will be, will be plentiful and, and beautiful. Um, so we should go from, we should go from that. Uh, and, and again, R.I.P. Craig Sager to to uh, to some basketball, man. To to maybe the teams who who aren't far uh, from thinking about the next offseason themselves while we're in this current season. So we're going to talk about tanking, and more specifically, 
which team should be tanking? Because this is something that's different. Uh, Prada, I know we talked about this before. Over the last couple of years we've been doing this podcast, the same teams have been in that tanking funnel, my Sixers for one. Um, it's different now, though. We have some different teams to talk about, and chief among them are the two teams who you gentlemen follow the closest or have historically followed the closest, the Wizards. You are so happy to rub that in. (laughs) Yes, you're (laughs) you're down in the gutter with my team. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Let's start with the Wizards and then we'll go over to the Mavs. So tell me about the Wizards, Mike. Should they be tanking or maybe preface what tanking means here and then tell me if they should. Well, I, I think when we say should they be tanking, I think we all recognize that it's sort of hard to tell a bunch of players to not try to win even this early in the season. I think it's more in an ideal world where if these people were sort of able to kind of look in the long term and able to kind of play for multiple goals, like would it be f- smart sort of as a strategy to – kind of really embrace a race to the bottom for them to kind of get a better draft pick? Or is there enough time for them to turn their season around to a level of modicum of success that may be more productive for them this year in the long run? I think that's that's, right. that's the way I would define the parameters. Like, I, I think just so we're, we, we're not saying that, like, 10 teams in the league should not be trying to win. It's just sort of if if it was a perfect world, like, should these be teams kind of already be packing it in on this year? That's right. Sort of the way That's right. These, these are the teams who could really use one of those top five picks, if you will, for yeah. the future of their franchise, while still positioning themselves this year to play competitive basketball. Because I should say, the Wizards are, as we record this on Thursday the 15th, um, you know, they're 10 and 14. They're like a game out of the playoffs. You know, the Eastern Conference is, is super tight. But Mike, what do you want to see from that? Uh, what, what do you want to see from the Wizards moving forward this season? And, and is it something where you think that this is a proper strategy for them? Well, one of the bizarre things about this team is that the build, the three best players in the team are also sort of the three young core players. You know, I guess John Wall's not young anymore, but Bradley Beal and Otto Porter have both taken big steps this year. And even the fourth player that has played well, Kelly Oubre recently, he's also a young player. The problem with this team is that it's the high-priced veterans around them that are really stinking it up. The Markeith Morrises <laughs> and the, uh, I guess Yamahimi hasn't played this year, but, you know, the Andrew Nicholson is not super old, but the Nicholsons and the Jason Smiths and Gortat is Gortat. But, like, that's that's the thing with this team. So, in, in a way, it almost doesn't matter whether they tank or not because ultimately what you want to see is that those young player those younger players start to come in their own because Beal is under contract for now four more years after this Porter I would assume they're going to lock him up this summer Wall has two more years left on his deal I think it's far too early to trade him just because I don't really know what you're going to get back and it's it's not like this regime should really be rebuilding the team that they're deconstructing again we've already done that so mm-hmm. If I'm them, I, I'm not sure I'm ready yet to kind of throw in the towel and sort of look to the draft. But I just want to see – the important thing for me now is, with them is that are those three core players going to continue to play at this level or build on it? Because you almost can't really do much about the, the mistakes you made otherwise. Does that make yeah. any sense to anyone? <laughs> Tim, I feel like you're in a similar boat here. I don't want to speak out of turn, but – in, there is some kind of comparison to be made uh, in terms of franchises that have not looked in this direction with the Mavericks as well. Uh, so are you following Mike's line of thought, Tim, or is this something where it's it's too early or it's something that's out of sight, out of mind because you're a proud Mavericks franchise and you win 50 games every year. And I've never thought about what it feels like to be 6-19. and 19. Yeah, for, for the Wizards, I, I would definitely <laughs> agree with Mike. I think, you know, for, for me, they actually have young pieces and young players. Mm to build around and whether they're going to work and actually fit in the long term 
you know, that's that's the 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 problem you have. But you know, with with Wall and Beal and Porter and you know, to some extent, Upre, I don't, and especially with you know being not that being not that far out of it, and and with uh, Mahimi being probably the biggest free agent signing, I, I guess, with Markeith Morris coming in at the trade deadline, you know. I, I would definitely be surprised if I mean I think they just gotta put keep keep going and, and keep pushing towards a playoff spot even though this year has been disappointing for them. They're, so they're they're two games out now, and this is also sort of sad, right? Like <laughs> the foundation just really must stink if you're the players that you have looked and said yes, these are the guys that we are building around are doing their part, and they're doing about as well as you could reasonably expect. And yet the rest of the team is just – the team is still struggling. And you have to look at the rest of the team here. It's almost like super depressing. Like sometimes I think with some of these teams that tank, right, there is sort of an end game in sight. It's like, okay, we need to rebuild our coffers, rebuild our foundation. Like we need to kind of look ahead to the future. And we, we're going to see more flexibility in, in the future. Like I look at Dallas, right? Like Dallas just needs some more young talent. You know, right. ultimately, I don't know if the Wizards need more young talent. They just need, you know, they're the guys that they pay to combine like fifty three million dollars to uh, other than their big three to like actually play like they're worth their contracts. Right. And I don't right. know how that happens. Well, there's it feels like there's two buckets here, right? There's the teams who have and I want to mention also that we're going to talk about the Nuggets uh, and the Wolves, too. And they might be more similar to the Wizards, where foundationally the young core needs to get older, mature more, play better, etc. But there's pieces there to build around. Whereas the other two teams who we're going to talk about, which are the Mavs and Heat, um, are, are proud franchises. These are, are consummate playoff franchises that don't see themselves in rebuilding molds. And even you know moving into this season, didn't see themselves in that mold necessarily, even though I think outwardly a lot of us did. So, I mean, Tim, juxtapose that with, with what the Mavericks are going through now, which is what would look to be a much more clear-cut potential rebuild right right the the secret about the mavericks even though they have been tied or or are tied depending on when you listen to this for for the worst record in the league (laughs) uh the the secret is that they don't have a bad team Hmm. um and what they've had so far this year is a very injured team and that makes sense because they have a bunch of injury prone players so it's (laughs) it's no real surprise that andrew bogan and darren williams got hurt Right. Uh, you know, J.J. Barea has had some had some injury problems throughout his year. Um, Dirk Nowitzki obviously is the is the biggest one who is who has missed a lot of time. Um, but but yeah, like this this team would still be able to win thirty five. Uh, I have them at at a forty wins or so coming into the year. Um, but but now that they have lost and now that they have got off to such a terrible start, and now that you're about a third of the way through. And, uh, you know, as we speak right now, the Mavericks are they are six games out of the playoffs and uh, 13 under 500. <laughs> um, that's that's the type of thing that you're you know, you're not going to get that chance again. And it's it's weird to say you're not going to get a chance to be bad again. Um, <laughs> but but there's the, the thing was they're just they're very good at, at cycling in different veterans. Um, and this is a veteran team with, you know, solid veterans who can do an adequate job. They, they weren't. You know, they were a maybe maybe going to be a playoff team, uh, maybe not. You know, they definitely weren't going to make much noise once they got there. Uh, but, but you know, this team has enough veterans to make that happen. And, and now that you're bad, I think you really have to start looking at the young talent, which is something you don't have a lot of. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you said, I, I think Barnes has proven to be, you know, at least a building block, even if he's probably not a number one option like he's been most of this year. Um, but, but yeah, beyond him, you have 
Justin Anderson and Dwight Powell and, and someone like Markel Fultz or or uh, Lonzo Ball or really anyone in the top five, the top eight, you know, that that would mean a lot to your franchise going forwards. And that's something they, they absolutely have to consider. And the way to do it is probably by trading away a few of those veterans. Yeah, absolutely. And they have to play at a 61% pace basically to go back to 500 at this right. point. And right. even that doesn't guarantee you a playoff berth. So if they play at like a 500 pace, they're still going to be about 13 games under 500. And Right. They're they're an average team if they had been healthy and now they aren't healthy. So it's it's definitely just like with the hole they've dug for themselves, it's hard to see them, you know, see a reason to keep grinding that way because nobody thought nobody nobody sees them as a as a 45-1 team to start with for them and definitely not a 51 team that they'd have to play at to get to catch up like you're saying what what do you make of cuban saying you know how they're not going to tank they're still in the race uh he's been anti-tanking before this isn't like yeah i think he mentioned it there was a brief dalliance with like yeah if um deandre doesn't come we're going to tank and then he kind of went immediately back on that and they built a competitive team that won 42 games last year and even now this year when he's spoken publicly he said like this is not how we operate like do you, do you find that to be fully sincere, or does he even recognize the reality of the situation? I, I think if you read between the lines, you you can see that he is open, at least open to the idea. A lot of what he said is, you know, we want to try to win every single game, but you can try to win every single game while trading away Andrew Bogan and Darren Williams. And like <laughs> like Cuban said, a lot of it is, you know, I, I think a phrase he used was, um, you know, if if we look up in December and we're still bad. Uh, then that just kind of works itself out. And I, I, th- I think he's right about that, where, you know, if the team gets far enough behind that we can reasonably say, um, you know, this they're, they're not catching up and they're not a playoff team, and especially if, you know, if Portland, who has the number eight seed, maybe if they go on a little bit of a run and get back to where they were last year at, at all, you know, I think that would be a clear sign to, to indicate that it's not going to be this year. Uh, there's not going to be some uh, wild comeback or march back into the playoffs. Um, and it's it's probably just best to to be shoppers at the deadline and that and, you know, if you shop the players and and you you fill in Darren Williams with Seth Curry and Andrew Bogut with with Salah Mejri or, or Dwight Powell, I think that probably does enough to make sure you stay down in the in the top, you know, the top eight and, and hopefully top five and, and somewhere somewhere in that range that that would net them a, a player that would be you know, fundamental for the future. And then you tell Dirk to kind of chill, right? Is that the idea or what do you do with Dirk? Yeah, that's, that's the tricky part. That, that is definitely the hardest part because it, you, it's, you can't just say that to him. You can't just be like, Hey, you know, just, just chill out because Dirk is, Dirk is one of the most competitive players in the league. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the Mavs locker room. Uh, when we talk to Cuban, he's always in the training room working out. We, you know, he was actually working out right next to Cuban, the other mm-hmm. day, which I haven't seen before, but it was an awkward, uh, it was a kind of funny and awkward situation because people were asking him about Dirk's comments that he might retire if the injuries don't don't get better. Which <laughs> he's right there, and not, <laughs> not actually, but but yeah, it was it was fun to see those two next to each other, and and uh, one of the beat writers just being like, "So Dirk," and then kind of looks over at Dirk, and then looks back to Cuba, and he's like, "So he said these things," and and Dirk's just kind of looking at him, and he's like, "I yeah, I, I guess I did." And <laughs> it was it was a it was a funny situation, but but yeah, it's. I, I think the team. I, I trust that Mark Cuban isn't going to be so stubborn that he keeps all of his veterans, even when the team is 15 games out. 
uh, in late January. Right. Right. So if, if, if that's the Western conference version per se of what we're talking about, an established team who might have to make an interesting decision they have not had to make as a franchise, um, specifically with a hard headed vocal guy like Cuban, well, there's another hard headed, somewhat less vocal, but equally as, I don't know, outspoken, uh, guy in Miami, Pat Riley, who has a, a team in a similar situation. Um, and I'm afraid I'll let you take first stab at this, but the heat are nine and 17. They're not going anywhere. They have a somewhat of a foundational piece, I think, in in um, uh, white center, side. white yeah. side, right? So then, are they a team who should be looking to fall and get one of these incredible guards in this upcoming draft to pair with them? This is a really tough one, I think, because on the one hand, Miami is out all these future picks because of that Gore and Dragic trade, and right. I suppose they could and perhaps should try to recoup at least one of those picks by trading Dragic and his massive contract and all that. Um, so that that's one obvious. The obvious answer is yes. Let's find a taker for Dragic. Like, it's also worth knowing Justin Winslow has been injured for a while. Like, we should probably give him some room to breathe a little bit and see what he can do. Josh Richardson came off an injury to start the year. Uh, we should see what he should do. And you know, Dragic had a big game earlier this week against my Wizards, but you know, it might give you more room. <laughs> and then you recoup one of those two picks from that trade that really, for reasons that are sort of beyond their control because of the boss situation, has worked out fairly poorly for them on the other hand Miami also wants to be a free agent destination and you know while they have sort of their Miami to sell we've seen in the past if you're not a good team and you want to get free agents uh, that's not a really easy combination and so they may need to decide like how are we really trying to build this thing and it's not an easy decision because if you say free agency is the way to go then, like, realistically, if you keep this team together, like, how good are they going to be? Like, they probably are going to be in the high 30s at best. You know, I don't at think they yeah. you know, I yeah. know the East, maybe they make a run once Winslow comes back and they can figure a way out in the AC. But I, I think it's hard to believe. Right now, they're, um, I'm just looking at the standings, they are four games out of the eighth seed. Uh, so I think that's hard to believe. But on the other hand, if they trade everybody away, they're already out future picks. So it's not like they're going to have this, like, mess of great assets coming in and you perhaps lose the opportunity to sell yourself as a free agent destination this summer so i think it's a tough one yeah they're they're in a weird spot and 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 i don't know tim do you see any similarities uh, with the mavericks or is this kind of a standalone unique situation because i could definitely see both sides of this argument not just from the uh, the injuries that they've already sustained and guys coming back but you mentioned there mike that they're you know five, four games out or four and a half out of the eight seed well they're two and a half out of having the worst record in the nba so just to, to show both sides of this um you know a lot of teams right now are are almost equidistant to that eight seed as they are to being that first pick which makes these decisions that much more difficult so Tim where do you side on the heat right the the one big difference of course for the for the Mavericks and the heat the the heat don't have a Dirk Nowitzki who mm. you know wouldn't would resist the resist the reason to you know the the tanking strategy or something like that sure. and again you know obviously with the Mavericks I think they should should figure out a way to do it anyway but but yeah <laughs> I, I don't I don't see a clear reason you know preventing Miami from tanking especially if if they potentially would owe a pick next year, a first round, their first round selection uh, looks like it's headed out next year or definitely in 2019. Um, I think you know. they get, they keep it this year, but they're, it's, I'm going to double check this, but I think they have it this year and it's in they, the future. They have it this year. I, I, yeah. I just pulled it up. They have it this year and it's protected uh, one through seven next year and it's unprotected in 2019 to Phoenix. 
Yeah. I mean, that feels like this is an opportunity then. Like right. this isn't even tanking. This is qualifying your opportunity for a, a, a elite player that you do not have to recruit to Miami via free agency, which as Prada just mentioned, which is a great point, you know, other than selling Miami, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Miami is like a lot better place to live day to day than I'm sure like Milwaukee or Indiana. No offense to those two places. But when you're just selling a place to play, ultimately it's 94 by 50 on a basketball court. And that's, you know, you can have a place in the off season somewhere else. So I'm wondering if this is the best opportunity that he'd actually have to get that, you know, elite point guard who they kind of wanted in Dragic, who might be out the door, as Mike said, and potentially to recoup some picks. So this feels like a, an opportunity more than anything else. Right. And ob- obviously with, with the picks, the, the idea is that, you know, maybe, maybe they, they take the, the, the fifth worst record, and then maybe they move up a couple spots in the lottery. You get the third pick. And then next year, they can be fine. They can be a decent team. They can push right. to the playoffs. And they're going to lose that pick anyway. But <coughs> if you if you keep a, you know, if you keep the number three and then you lose the number 16, that's that's as good of a trade-off as you can get for that first-round pick as possible. Well, then the challenge is that they have to be good in 2019. That's right. Right. And so, but they it also, it would, be, up, yeah. it would be nice if they were really bad in 2018. Or 2017, <laughs> it's like or whatever they owe these picks. Like it's, it's sort of a weird dance. And the other complication, I think, is you know, are we sure? I think we're pretty sure, but like, are we sure that like Hassan Whiteside is the guy that we want to kind of sh- shepherd through this process? You know, he's had his great moments this year. He also got benched in the fourth quarter of a recent game. So a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Like I would probably vote Tank as well. Trade Dragic, but I, I don't know if it's like such a simple answer. Like Dallas, I think is an easy answer. Washington, I think, is sort of the answer is kind of there for you. It it, it it's one of those situations where you just kind of have no other choice. It just kind of happens. But um, you know, we'll see what happens uh, with Miami. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so that's I I'm agreeing with you guys. I think it's an interesting team for a lot of reasons, but mostly because in my head, and this is the same thing for the Mavs. But I have a, a place in the Western Conference playoffs for the Mavericks every season. Like that's just where they land. And when that was when they were the you know the 55 win Mavs and playing in the you know a home playoff series in the first couple rounds, or when that was when they were challenging you know a 65 win Spurs team as the eight seed, there was a place for the Mavs and it feels like a, an interesting void where they might not be a part of it. Same similar with the heat. Um, you know, they had a, a small rebuild of a changing of guard, if you will, but Wade was always the constant there. And you have these voids being filled with, you know, there's no more Wade in Miami. There's not much more Dirk left in Dallas. I'm sorry, Tim, that, that breaks everyone's heart. Um, but these are different ways to look at your franchise and you have to kind of, if you're a Cuban or, or O'Reilly, you have to be able to objectively say, we have to move on to that next phase. And ultimately a top five pick in an extremely talented draft is a great way to kickstart that, uh, in my opinion. Um, but we'll see what these guys decide to do. Um, two teams that kind of fall in a different bucket, which is uh, we have lots of youth. Not sure which of them is going to be the part of the team who's going to lead us into the future. Uh, but there's definitely some core tenants or core pieces that are going to be there, which are the Nuggets and the Wolves. Now, I don't think a lot of us thought the Wolves would be in a situation where they'd be asking themselves this question for another season. They're kind of one of the holdovers here. Um, but they're 7 and 18 right now. They've got issues and tanking is probably something that Thibodeau legitimately can't pronounce. It's just not in his it's not in his vocabulary. Wait, I'm trying to imagine him like in one of those liar, like the liar liar movie, where he's trying to yeah. write the word tanking and instead kind of converts to winning. That's right. That's right. He just can't write tanking. Like, sir, could you please read this word? And he's like, winning. 
terrific exactly exactly and that's that's tibbs that's the wolves we'll talk about them first then we'll talk about the nuggets who have like an entire team under the age of 25 years old um so first off the minnesota timberwolves a team of of young guys some of which are extremely skilled. I think we can all agree that you could build a team around Carl Anthony Towns. So they have that piece. Uh, and it looks like Wiggins is going to be a, a fine NBA basketball player as well. But here they are. They find themselves at 7-18. and 18. They're the second worst record just behind the Mavericks in the Western Conference. And they got to be asking themselves some serious questions about where they see themselves moving forward this season. Or if there's a one last piece, maybe that, uh, that actual, I don't know, complimentary piece to Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, another big guy, small forward. Maybe this draft has quite a few point guards and quite a few big wings. So I'm wondering if we see the Wolves thinking about their future or if they're just going to keep playing it out. And regardless, they're a team of a lot of good young players so they can kind of just play the uh, the hand that they're dealt. Yeah, like you said, Ben, that's that's kind of what I'm wondering. If, if they have like if they have the number one number one pick, who, you know, where do they <laughs> add a player? Right. Because they, they definitely have Towns, Towns in that center. They have... You know, Rubio, who may be out the door, but done behind him. They have Zach Levine for now, who also could be moving on, but, you know, he's under a contract still. He's and great. you've got Wiggins. So, so I think you could definitely fit in another wing there. You know, you can never have enough wings. And, and someone, uh, you know, a, a player like that, it's it's hard to say no. But it, they're, they're definitely, you know, they have more or less a a build already. They've, they've already have a depth chart kind of lined up. So, you know. Certainly, they wouldn't say no to it, but I, right. I don't. I don't feel like it's necessary for them, quite like some of these other other teams. Whereas, you know, for them, they're they're waiting more on development to me rather than you know, a a one more young piece that they need a couple years to develop because I I think they see their timeline as something that's quicker than that. The the challenge they have, I think, it centers around one question, which is the point guard position, and this is sort of a retroactive sort of thing as well like so how good is Chris Dunn like we he's been really bad in his so far this year and he's not he's old but you know who else has been really bad this year is Ricky Rubio and at a certain point you spent the fifth pick in the draft on Chris Dunn like don't you need to kind of give him some rope with the your core to see what you have and the problem now though of course is that if they were to say yeah okay that's probably true let's like try to move Rubio what kind of value does Rubio have after with the season he's having he's been really bad this year really dreadful offensively even by his standards and so they may have missed an opportunity to sort of kind of push the timetable back by not moving Rubio this summer and that's the sort of the logic I kind of had at the time uh yeah. then of course it, it so it doesn't help that that Dunn is really poor but like let's say you give Dunn his rope, and he still does not really show much sign of improvement. You know, you give him more time with the starters. You don't worry about wins and losses. That's sort of a tanking move. Then you maybe have more information to try to get for another point guard. Um, because like right. you, you guys have said, in terms of core pieces, there is no gap. They kind of just need more guys, and they probably need better vets, and they need to kind of give this time to brew and figure it out. But um, the point guard position is a tricky one for them. You know, I, I don't know what purpose it serves given that they're already out of it. I think the logic for keeping Rubio is that you will be better right now and everybody else will look a little bit better with him kind of delivering his passes. But instead, he's been really bad. Nobody else, He hasn't really enhanced anyone else this year in the same way. And now you can't – it's hard to find value for him. And then you don't know what you haven't done. So that right. to me is where the issue really lies. It's not really about like do you get another guy on that team, another young right. player. It's more like you've got to figure out what you have in your number five pick from last year. 
Right. And that's that's the whole assessment here, though. It is like you have a draft where five of the top coming up in 2017, prospectively, five of the top 10 draft picks are point guards, which all have really high ceilings. And all of them, as far as Draft Express goes, and they're the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, for evaluating prospects uh, and Ricky O'Donnell uh, from uh, from SB Nation here. These this class coming in of point guards has ceilings that far exceed what Chris Dunn's is. And somehow, sometimes that's just year to year how drafts go. Um, there's no Embiid or Carl Anthony Towns in the top 10 this year. Um, but, but there's plenty of point guards and they're all of different skill sets too. And some are six foot six and some are six foot four and some are six foot two. And you get the idea here that there's a lot of different matches potentially. And with that being said, if we, if they can't find a partner for Rubio, because the best teams in the NBA have good point guards, and the worst teams in the NBA would probably like to take their chances of getting one of these point guards in the draft. It creates a, a void where there aren't many trade partners. You mentioned Levine. They're still trying to figure out what position he plays. Is he a point guard or is he an off-ball guy? I think they figured that out. He's a he's a two, and he, in my opinion, it's that dilemma is solved. Like he's the guy. Okay, so he he's the two, right? I, yeah. I, I I agree with you, and he's been really good this year. I mean, Levine's progress has kind of been one of the, the more pleasant surprises in, in the NBA. Um, he's a good player. So I think it does put him in a weird spot, but I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of college basketball this season, and I think to myself, Lonzo Ball is a lot better right now. Um, Markel Fultz is a lot better right now. Dennis Smith is a lot better right now. Um, you know, than Chris Dunn is. And and that doesn't necessarily bode well. Um, if you're a team who has to make a decision based upon a, a you know, a, whatever, six in one hand and a, and a half dozen in the other, well, you don't really know if that's a half dozen or if it's like 100,000 in the other, which is what some of these other point guards could be. And it makes it tough. Um, Thibs is the one in control of all of this. The, the beauty of Thibodeau is that he's going to live and die by his own sword here. Um, he's going to pick the point guard. He's going to pick how that this transition goes this season. Do you stick with Rubio? Do you go to Chris Dunn? Do you play for one of these other guards? And I'd be fascinated to get in his head about that and then also try to have him say that magical word out loud, tanking. But I don't think he will. My guess would be Minnesota tries to figure this out throughout the season and plays themselves into like the uh, 10th through 12th pick in the draft. That'd be my perspective guess. The, the other thing is that if if you do go to Dunn, you know, mm-hmm. if you are able to deal Rubio away for some reason and you go to Dunn and he's so bad that you're like, this isn't the franchise point guard. That's true. And, you know, maybe that just solves itself. They have, they're seven and 18 right now trying to win. So, right. so they're not exactly <laughs> great and they don't have any veterans to trade away anyway. But, you know, maybe they're just not a good team this year and Dunn, you know, if he's that bad and he's getting 36 minutes a game, then they'll end up with the top five pick anyway and, and can more confidently pick another point guard knowing that Dunn might not be the right guy. So yeah, I don't point. know. You also, they also do have to have some success. I mean, it would, yeah. it's good for them to have success. So it's a tough one. I think, I think yeah. they may be, I think they may be sort of dug their own hole this summer with not, without, by not resolving that sort of Rubio Dunn situation. Um, and maybe the resolution is that Dunn just stinks. That might just be it. You know, it's, it's, I mean, his his limits were known, though. I mean, he was not supposed to be some kind of like gifted offensive basketball player. No, he's supposed, he to, be supposed to be better than this, like, though, right? I mean, he, he's real. He's really bad offensively. Yeah, right he's now. raw. He's raw, and and he got away with being a you know, bully ball guard in, in the in, in college basketball, where he was more physically gifted than a lot of guys he was guarding. But I said this time when we did the Minnesota podcast this summer, and when he's coming up in the past. But you know, he struggled a lot when he had to face Villanova, a team who put ball pressure on him with 
NBA level guards, even not even quite NBA level guards like uh, Archie Diagono um, and Brunson, who might eventually be an NBA guard next year. But, uh, you know, he struggled with those guys, teams who kept him in front, who made him shoot. And he was always prone to turnovers, which is something we're seeing way too much of this year, too. So I'm kind of more in the boat of Dunn is more who we thought he was. And it's up to Thibodeau to get what he thought he was going to get out of him. And, And that's kind of where I fall right now. So maybe they just busted that pick, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe, and that happens. That happens yeah. a lot. Speaking um, of busted speaking point of- guards. <laughs> <laughs> Dang the, it, you beat me to it. Go ahead, Mike. The Denver Nuggets. Yes, yes. They could really potentially use a redo at the point guard position. Well, don't you think it's a little early for Moutier, even now? I know he's been really rough this year, but, I mean, Dunn is already 23. Moutier is still only 20. I mean, the age thing does sure. matter there, doesn't it? It does, but you tell me, Mike. You've been a, a Moutier critic. Um, I'm interested in what you think first and foremost about the Nuggets here, and then, and then Tim, I know the Nuggets are a team jostling around the bottom of the West with with the Mavs. Um, but again, totally different. Where the Mavs have veterans, the Nuggets have young guys. Um, so I'm interested to see if this is a similar situation to the Wolves or not. And 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 Prady, you you have had a long history of of critiquing Moutier, and the last long history, I mean, a year and a half now. Um, you're interested in his game because he he has. A lot of questions and and few answers right now. Where do you stand with with him as it pertains to these point guards that are coming into this class? And then also, hey, the Nuggets have playoff aspirations. Uh, when we had uh, Adam Mores on this this pod this summer, he thought they were going to be a potential playoff team. No, we didn't, but here they are. I think you've identified the problem with the Denver Nuggets ah. inadvertently, which is what are <laughs> they actually doing? I think there are a lot of teams in this league. You know, there there are some other teams where it's a matter of like. They're flexible with young guys, but they also have vets. So they're sort of tr- a lot of teams. I think are trying to do like what the Rockets did for so long, which is like let's let's compete and be flexible, and to varying degrees of success. And I think Denver is a team that is sort of punished by what they're trying to do on that front. You know, we don't really know what we you have in Moutier. And, you know, what do you do with Jamal Murray with the way he's looked really good to start the year? Jokic and Nurkic, like what's going on there? How do you figure that problem out? Um Gary Harris is injured. What do you do there? And all these guys are sort of blocked or in, sort of included in a brew with Gallinari and Wilson Chandler is having a big year and Will Barton and Jameer Nelson and Kenneth Fareed. Like, what do you do with Kenneth Fareed? They have resolved. I understand, like, that they don't want to – they want to make sure that they kind of are able to be nimble and do a bunch of different things. But at some point, you have to kind of figure out – you need to make a decision on some of these guys. Like what you have to kind of be willing to bite the bullet and maybe lose a veteran or maybe sacrifice. Maybe one of these young players is not going to develop. Like maybe you can't get both Jokic and Nurkic to be as good as you want. And you give the other room one room to breathe. And that to me is the central problem along with like, what is, is just Emmanuel not good is that they just don't, I have no, I don't think they've gained any knowledge this year. And it's not because of a lack of coaching. They just have too many players. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Tim, could you imagine uh, having a team of literally 12 or more like 10 guys in this case, as you just went and named them, but 10 guys who should see 20 plus minutes. And that can't happen. There's not enough basketball to be played. And I'm wondering if that stunting that Prada's talking about is is real or if they keep playing it out more that they're going to learn and become a better team so this tanking thing won't really matter. Yeah, it's it's a weird team. You wish you could combine a couple of them and just, you know, toss them <laughs> in a in a little machine and just come out with a with a player that has the skills of both of them and, and all that. But 
I, I don't think that I don't think that technology is quite here yet. Maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll come back in a decade and see and see what's happening there. But but yeah, you know you know I I still have reasons like Moutier, like you said, is twenty year twenty twenty years old. He's six five. You know a six five twenty year old who you know has he's clearly not looked great. But you know I, I still have I still think they can be you know not not write him off yet, but. I don't know. It's it's a weird team. It's they've they've been like this yeah. for a few years now. Bizarre team. They just have a bunch of young people, and and I just it's they're a really weird team to try to try to make sense of because yeah, sure. it's, because for all the reasons you said, it's it's like they have too many players. It's it's they have they have uh, all these promising young guys who you know most of them. If if you're to put money down on the right now, I'd say most of them you know probably top out as a as a fifth starter as a fourth starter. They have a lot of. Yeah. Oh, role players and nobody who's looking to kind of break out of that mold. And it's just it's a weird mix of trying to figure out does anybody have potential beyond just being a a starter or a cog on a team? You know, Mm -hmm. should should they try to take two or three of these people and and trade it for another prospect? But then who are you going to convince to do that? That that's that's better. I, I guess maybe you could you could angle for a for another draft pick this year. Uh, just from someone else, but I, I don't know. It's they're, yeah. they're a very odd team and it. You know, I, I got why people were optimistic about them last year, but I, I also am not surprised at the, at the way this, their season has gone this year. Yeah, I feel like they could, they could really um, benefit from one of the, there's some interesting like um, swing power forwards in this draft coming out. There's Jonathan Isaac at Florida state. Everyone should read uh, the Ricky O'Donnell piece on him that he put out today. It's, it's fascinating. Um, he's an interesting prospect to say the least. Um, talk about six foot 10, uh, 210 pound, you know, 18 year olds that might right. fit m- more nicely next to a Jokic or a Nurkic than they fit next to each other, which was something they've tried similar to like how the Sixers are, are trying the Okafor Embiid thing. But ultimately you need one seven foot center on the court at the same time. And Jokic is significantly better when he's the only big man on the court as he's showing. Uh, and it showed the last couple of games, he's been really good. Um, also Harry Giles is in this draft. Jason Tatum's in this draft. So there's some interesting the kid from Arizona too. Who, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, Mark Dirk was watching the other day. Yes. Because, because he, he's being compared to Dirk and, and Dirk was like, I don't know if I see it this game, but <laughs> yeah, yes. Well, he had, he had taken time to kind of take a look at it, this dude. So totally. Yeah. Laurie Markinen uh, at Arizona, he's a seven foot, uh, you know, freshman, a little older than the other freshman class. Um, I think he's, he's from Finland, but um, yeah, you have, you have interesting prospects that I think if you, if you are projecting them might fit better on this team than a lot of guys who are currently on this team. Um, Prada, you mentioned, and maybe we can help solve this problem real quick. Is there anything that could be packaged here in a trade? I know the contracts are a weird part of this team with Wilson Chandler and, and Gallinari are, are guys who could certainly help a, a, a good team become great. Um, instead of just putting up, you know, box scores on a, on a pretty poor team here in, in Denver, is there room to be made here so that a tank can be completed roster spots can be opened and the future can be brighter? Well, yeah, but you have to decide what you want to do. I mean, the other thing we haven't mentioned is that Denver's got a lot of extra picks kind of coming to them. They've got a Memphis pick coming. Um, I believe they still have a Cleveland pick. They don't just have their own. Like, they have guys who can, yeah, bring value. I mean, I think Wilson Chandler is a very useful player, and Gallinari is a very still a good player, not quite as good as he was last year, uh, but still Mm -hmm. a useful player. They're both sort of at the end of their deal, so what are you going to get? I mean, Fareed is a tricky fit, um, but you could probably find some team to pawn him off to. Um, you know, they have a lot of guys who could help. Will Barton's on a great contract. I, you know, oh, yeah. I love him on the Wizards. But I think the challenge is, like, you have to know what you actually are trying to do. And, and they're, they have no – they have consistently kind of 
said, well, we're going to do like what we, we're going to, our thing that we're going to do is that we're capable of doing a lot of things. You know, <laughs> right, and right, right. they ends up kind of mixing. I think there's an art to sort of being able to mix the kind of compete while staying flexible that a lot of teams have pulled off. And there are certain elements that kind of make it work, um, you know, but I think the Nuggets have failed to find those elements. They, You need like kind of the right kind of veterans that don't block. And you need, I think, better young talent than they have. I mean, of all the guys they had, Tim made the point. Like we got all excited about Jokic. You know, I still think he's a ways away from where some people think he is. And mm-hmm. we don't know about Moutier. Jamal Murray has looked promising, but he still is one-dimensional. I don't know if he's like a kind of a no-brainer scorer uh, starter. Um, you don't yeah. know about Nurkic. So it's like – they're in this weird spot where they don't have any sort of foundation um, that they can really count on, but they also have way too many guys that are blocking us from really seeing what the foundation is. So like, as far as what they should do, like I think the important thing is they got to do something. Like I don't think they can, whether it's like they say like, let's, let's give up on some of these young guys that consolidate, or they say, let's go embrace an all out, like kind of, we are willing to trade guys like Chandler and Farid or whatever, even if we don't get much in return, just to kind of give some breathing room. They got to pick one or the other. They can't. They can't keep trying to do both, and that that's been their problem for years. And I think they're being a little slow to sort of pick and choose which one it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, and that's how you find yourself in in the middle of the NBA. And and we've mentioned this many many times. Not a worse place to be. There's it's the worst place to be in all of sports is the middle of the NBA, um, the purgatory known as like, uh, you know, the 12th pick or 13th pick. Um, I should mention real quick, just so no one gets mad at us. Or, oh, there's so many teams we could also talk about. We picked these teams on purpose. All right. The, uh, the Kings aren't going to tank right now. They're nine and 16, but their, their pick goes to Chicago. It's top 10 protected and they got the right to swap with the Sixers or Sixers have the right to swap with them. We don't want to talk about the Kings. The Kings losing is something that we just don't need to poke with a stick right now, right? Uh, the Magic have been winning a little bit lately, and Mike predicted them to make the playoffs, so clearly we're not going to say they're going to tank. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Pelicans have had – we don't have to go into their issues. They've had injury upon injury and and health issues with family members and so forth. They're playing better basketball since their rough start. They're still 8-17. and 17. They might be a more interesting team. Um, we'll follow up with them later in the year. Uh, and then the Lakers – obviously are in a a spot where their pick is top three protected. Uh, So yeah, then maybe it'll come a time late in the year where they got to decide, do we need to get into that top three or we give our pick to the Sixers? But for now, the Lakers obviously are are playing better ball than they have in years. And we didn't want to poke the bears of the teams who have been tanking uh, for years. We wanted to look at some new blood in this world. Absolutely. That's right, Brady, right? Okay, cool. I had to throw it out there. Obviously, Heat fans and Nuggets. I'm, I'm sure we probably pissed off the Nuggets fans the most because they're only like 9 and 16. Maybe it's the Wizards fans, to be honest. They're like 10 and 14. Um, I suspect we didn't still. anger any fan bases here. I think yeah. they all know the reality is the situation. Um, that's so. true. Oh, man, this whole podcast is like a reality check, I suppose. I mean, that's what this was. I'm uh, glad we yeah. got to do it. But uh, cool. I know this, uh, this is good. Tim, uh, we have a second segment coming up. Guys, uh, everyone stay tuned for this, please. Uh, we're going to do a little... You know, message from our sponsor, and then we're gonna hop into a, a little CBA talk with uh, with Tom Ziller of of SB Nation. But until that point, uh, Tim, it's thanks uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast, man. We always enjoy getting your input. You got the uh, the ear to the ground, if you will, right now. And now that you're a full time national SB Nation NBA writer, we can ask you all these questions about all these teams. So it's great to have you on, bud. Thanks, guys. Of course, of course. Okay, so now a message from our sponsor, and then into Mr. Tom Ziller. This episode of Limited Upside is brought to you by MailChimp. 
12 million people use MailChimp to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses every day. MailChimp has been around since 2001. The company started as a side project funded by various web development jobs, but now they are the world's leading email marketing platform. They send more than a billion emails a day. They democratize technology for small businesses, creating innovative products that empower their customers to grow. When you connect to your store with one of MailChimp's hundreds of e-commerce integrations, you can create targeted campaigns, automate helpful product follow-ups, and send back-in-stock messaging. Learn what your customers are purchasing, and then send them better email. MailChimp will also analyze the purchase history of each customer to make smart, data-driven predictions about what they'll want to buy in the future. It's enterprise-level technology made simple for everyone. Just drag and drop. Sending personalized product recommendations to your customers increases sales in just a few clicks. MailChimp detects purchasing patterns in your e-commerce data and uses them to automatically predict your customers' buying behavior so you can target the right people with the right products. It's MailChimp. Send better email. Sell more stuff. back and we are joined by someone who after filing about 700,000 words about the lockout in 24 hours had the gall to say is there anything more you need for me Tom Ziller how you doing Hey Mike what's going on hey Ben Hey, hey Tom thanks for coming on buddy You uh you wrote a whole missive of stuff on the CBA uh being agreed in principle to the tentative agreement uh and one of the things i found interesting in the stuff you wrote is that I remember we we spoke about this so much over the last couple of years, even as recently as this summer, like there was real worry, I think, from you and a lot of other people, including me, that like just the fact that the history of the league, there's always a lockout, something was going to go wrong and this negotiation was going to be way harder. Instead, it ended so easily. Uh, Was it really just a matter of like everybody was making too much money to screw this up or were there other factors? Yeah, I think that's that's a big part of it. And I wrote a piece that kind of outlaid seven reasons that that uh, the deal happened now and not, you know, in the 11th hour in late June or coming up on next season. I think the money is a big reason. I think it could have gone either way, right? Because there's so much money involved right now that um, you know people get dollar signs in their eyes and a 1% shift in the, in the BRI split. Um, makes a huge amount of difference. Um, and so I, I think it could have gone either way with the money, um, but I think both sides sort of realized that they were in a good spot, um, especially with the new TV deal kicking in. Um, I mean, that's like free money off the top for them because there's not really any extra work um, that has to go in for, for either side um, to, to get that extra dough. So, um, yeah, I think that was a huge reason. I, I think, you know, the, the whole... Um, the the fact that they they lost games last time. I think if you look back to the last time they lost games back in 1998, um, the the following CBA, which was in 05, it did go down to the wire, but they didn't. They weren't really at risk of losing any games there. So I think that that's sort of been a, a, a cycle that we've noticed too, is that they'll have sort of really painful stoppage that costs games. Then they'll have, you know, a negotiation that goes a little more smoothly the following time. So we'll look forward to, to 2023 and see what that brings. I have a question for you, because of the seven um, reasons why that you wrote about, 
the one that kind of stood out the most to me was the the stars because it's almost like they're writing their own script now. The guys who are the faces are writing their own kind of future economic prosperity. Um, can you talk to us a little bit, uh, time about how that's kind of shifted things, that this is more of a public-facing dynamic now? And it, it behooves yeah. the owners to kind of play ball a little more? Yeah, it's definitely been interesting. Um, because it didn't get to crisis stage this time, I think we don't know exactly how that would have played out, you know, if we had gotten to a lockout situation like we did last time, uh, where you had some stars kind of popping in, but they weren't heavily involved in the negotiation process. You had the the famous story of Dwayne Wade and, and David Stern yelling at each other in a conference room. Another uh, one of your reasons, Wade. exactly. Yeah, so um, I, I think it, it could have been different in that sense. I think it's interesting that, you know, back in the mid-90s, um, star players were heavily involved. Patrick Ewing was the was the union president. A lot of that was agent driven back then. I don't know that it's uh, agent driven at this point. It seems more like uh, the the cabal of um, superstars who happen to be best friends, the Banana Boat Crew, um, just sort of you know decided to sort of take this on. Um, and you know it looks like it worked this time. And there wasn't much animosity. Um, I think the stars definitely got something that they were interested in. They didn't get everything they'd be interested in and that would be you know the the death of the individual player max but um they did get something out of it the guys at the lower end got got something out of it so um i think it it ended up working out the thing you're referring to is the they basically bumped the over 36 rule to over 38 uh it would take way too long to explain exactly what this is but the upshot is that (laughs) these these players now can get a five-year deal uh, at a later, later age than they could. I, I love what Paul called it the banana boat rule. That's a great name. Um, great, yeah. But I think the one contrast between when a star ran the union in the 90s and uh, right now is is also the leadership at both Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts. You know, this is no longer Billy Hunter yeah. sort of losing control of that, you know, and that we don't quite, when, we, when Michelle Roberts first took over, there was a lot of rhetoric, a lot of, about you know we're going to get rid of the max and you know that is un-American and all of this and yet that made us all think like yeah this is going down a bad path but it didn't end up that way I wonder what changed there it's it's almost shrewd bargaining though if you if you start so far over to one side anywhere you move you're still gaining a lot even if that's not exactly what you get it 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 kind of feels like one hundred one ish in in a bargaining sense but the time I'm interested in what you think about the that new kind of called the new match at the top of the of uh, the spear here because um, one of the other things to point out here is Stern's personality. Uh, and Tommy wrote about this, but it was also obviously well documented was such an abrasive factor in in, in negotiations. Um, so please take us through that as well. Yeah, I, I think Stern being God, you know, helps in in some sense. Um, it's a lot of institutional knowledge gone. It's a lot of personality from the league side gone. But at the same time, um, he, he rubbed a lot of people, NBA stars included, uh, the wrong way. And definitely the dynamic between, between him and Billy Hunter was not fruitful over the, the almost 20 years that they were negotiating deals against each other. So um, just having some sort of change, you know, I, I think helps. You know, on the Michelle Roberts thing, she did come in with a lot of fire. I think once she talked to her membership and found what their priorities were and that um, sort of the the things that they were looking for, um, you know, she is their representative, just just like the commissioner is the representative of the owners. And so, you know, the the membership really does have to take the lead on on deciding what 
what it's going to fight for. Um, and I, I tend to agree with Michelle Roberts about the individual max and about the age minimum. Um, another thing that she, she ripped pretty well back then, but hasn't changed yet. Um, and didn't look like it was a major, major issue in this negotiations. Um, I, you know, I tend to agree with her on those things. I think there just wasn't like the will, uh, amongst the membership to like draw out a big fight about either of those things. And, you know, definitely on the individual acts, at least there was sort of a, a, um, a, a little bit of a carrot kind of thrown in with the over a 38 rule and the, the, the new six year contracts that, uh, will be able to be offered to, sure. to certain veterans. We're still getting details about what actually has changed, but the one that stands out to me, and we don't know the final details about that uh, as far as, is this whole idea of now you can re-sign like a designated veteran a year in advance uh, and then give them five years after the last year ended. And so the idea being is basically it should make it easier for the Pacers and the Thunder and the Kings of the world, the smaller markets to keep their stars is this an overcorrection correction to what happened with Kevin Durant? I mean, I, I worry a little bit about that. I mean, now these guys, you might get a situation where it becomes really difficult for someone like Anthony Davis, who you really just want to see in an environment that works. If New Orleans doesn't have nearly as much incentive, I fear, to really make it work for him uh, as they did before. Uh, is this an overcorrection or, or is this how it should be? I think it's an overcorrection, not necessarily just to the Kevin Durant situation, but to previous moves that the owners have pushed for and successfully won, they've been ratcheting down the maximum length of contracts since the nineties. Uh, there used to be no maximum length. And so you had, you know, like magic Johnson's 25 year deal with the Lakers. Um, and you had 10 year deals for unproven guys in the league. Um, and then in 98, it went down to, to uh, seven, I believe. And it's been going down every negotiation since, um, that's good in terms of protecting owners from themselves. And we hear this a lot. Um, every time a, a labor situation comes up, it seems like the owners in the league are trying to protect owners from themselves from making bad deals. Um, and um, this is a correction to that, I think, because there are some players that you do want to lock up forever. Sure. Um, the guys like Anthony Davis, the guys like Paul George. And so um, this allows teams to do that for certain players. It doesn't make it, it's not going to make it a widespread practice. I don't think um, teams are going to be rushing out to, to give these super long extensions to, to any old player who, who happens to make an, an all NBA team or otherwise reaches the criteria. I think, you know, um, one of the things I said today was um, I'm not so sure Boogie Cousins is going to sign up for, you know, five or six more years of Sacramento. I'm not sure Sacramento is going to sign up for five or six more years of Boogie Cousins either. Um, so it's, it's, it's not going to be um, a situation where these contracts are going to turn into albatrosses. If they do, it'll probably be more due to injury than, than anything else uh, versus the old long contracts that were just sort of handed out to, to get any free agents. Um, so I think it's a correction to that. And, and it's also a correction to in 2011, um, the NBA basically killed the, the trade and extend um, right. idea um, after the, which was a, a sort of an overcorrection to the Carmelo Anthony ordeal, the melodrama, um, <laughs> getting him to New York so he could extend there. Um, they killed that in 2011 and they, they realized that there's now, uh, no feasible way or really no, no, um, no purpose for players to extend early. 
Um, they want to change that, obviously, because extending early is a good way to lock up uh, good players for these for these non-glamour markets. And um, so I think they're doing that. So I think it's a correction as much to those two sort of functions as it is to, to Durant and the super team. There's a good point to made. Um, you know, the the Durant thing was not just because um, but because of the the shorter contract lengths and the the extension rules. Uh, it was also because of that crazy cap spike um, that allowed the Warriors to actually have the cap space to go out and sign them. We're not expecting that to happen, you know, again if ever. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I think it's sort of a combination of factors that that led to the the new rules on extensions. Sure. Yeah, perfect storm situation. Um, couple more questions because there's a few new things here that I guess could take or use some explanation. Um, two-way contracts. Can you talk me through some two-way contracts? Why am I going to be interested in those? Yeah, so I think we're still waiting on the details on exactly how this is going to work. But okay. the idea is that teams are going to have a couple more roster spots they're going, they're going to be able to use on these sort of fringe NBA players that they can shuttle between the D-League and the NBA. Um, they'll, they'll be making um, a better wage than they would just as D-League players. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work because typically players that do get called up from the D-League to the NBA, um, you know, would make more on their 10-day contract um, in the NBA than they would the entire uh, D-League season. So it's going to have to be a pretty substantial amount um, for these players, but it, it allows teams to control, you know, young players, um, a little bit, a little bit tighter. Um, they're not going to have to sort of go go out and go fishing for for guys to to bring in, you know, like Tony Douglas and, and Memphis or guys like that. They'll they'll sure. sort of have a little more control. This all ties into the idea that the D League is going to eventually expand to thirty teams and become a true farm league for the for the league. Right. Um, and so it, we're getting there. It's still a couple of years off, but um, this is sort of a, a necessary function or necessary addition to, to make that really happen. Yeah. If certain teams, certain franchises would maybe spend some money on a D league team instead of buying two arena football league teams, you know, we might be getting there a little bit sooner. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know. I think it's a good thing. Uh, last thing I'm kind of curious about, you mentioned the age minimum a little bit earlier. Like I know you, you have, I think, and I agree with you, have railed about how the one and done concept is ridiculous. Um, they propose the players, I believe, like something called basically like a zero and two, where it's like you can either come out of high school, you have to go to college for two years, and that got rejected. Uh, and they say they're going to talk about it later. We heard that last time. Do you envision the age minimum actually changing at any time soon, or is this just kind of going to constantly be this compromise that neither side really likes? Yeah, I, I don't see how they can compromise one of the biggest reasons and i and i still hear this from from guys at the league office that i talked to um one of the biggest reasons they pushed for the age minimum was to get nba scouts out of high school gyms um out of the the aau tournaments they still attend those for the big names they still want to get early tape on some of these guys especially uh the guys that maybe go into smaller programs or you know have to go overseas because of uh grades or whatever um, so they're still there, but, you know, in the heyday of, of the preps to pro, uh, era, they were, you know, spending all their time tracking down these guys in high school gyms across the country. Um, they don't want to do that. It's expensive. The league doesn't want any part of that. If you move to a, a zero and two system, 
that that paradigm's back because you're going to have to go look at Mark Hill Fultz, you know, in high school, Jason yep. Tatum in high school. You're not going to be able to wait for them to get to Duke and Washington. Um, you're going to have to get right back into that paradigm, and the league doesn't want that at all. The owners don't want that. Um, meanwhile, um, you're going to have to give the players something to get them to concede to the to the um, the two and done. Um, the two and through or whatever we're going to end up calling it if it ever happens. Um, and I, I just don't see how, how you find some sort of um, carrot to give to the players in a non-negotiation year. Um, if you're going to do this, you know, next year, two years from now, how are you going to uh, pull something out, you know, to give to the players? I just don't see it happening. Um, so I, I think we're stuck with one and done for now. I'm, I'm still um, surprised that the players union agreed to it back in 05. Uh, it's also something that's been we talk about corrections and whatnot. That's something that college coaches now have corrected. And now they figured out to the one and done game. Th- that's a strong political, you know, sphere of influence in its own right. The NCAA. And when you start bringing in the the straight through, you know, again, the talent gets watered down. They don't even get the one year push of these bigger names. It's harder to sell for them as well. I th- I think they're just the millions and millions of dollars that are in play for both sides. Um, that's something they'd rather just not even be remotely in, in touch with as well i mean do you think there's anything political there that can be seen um that's kind of where my, my head goes as well um but anyhow um one last thing i guess there's a, a slight disagreement uh thus far we're going to wrap this up with one last question i have which is that uh fringe nba players uh, you wrote about uh, uh in another uh, one of your, your pieces here um as a winner uh but then draymond green had some comment about the little guy not uh, um, actually benefiting from this new CBA. Um, can you tell me why Draymond is is maybe incorrect here? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's all relative, right? So, <laughs> you know, the fact that, that Chris Paul is going to sign a $200 million contract this summer and the minimum sure. guy is going to make $800,000 uh, versus what he was making before, you know, the 540000 or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, there's still huge disparities in how much Chris Paul makes and how much a fringe NBA player makes. That's always going to be the case. But the average NBA salary is expected to go up to $8.5 million after this deal uh, because the, the players' union was able to keep the, the revenue split where it was um, and revenue has grown so much. Um, so if you can become like an average NBA player, if you can work your way up to that, um, you're going to be doing okay, right? Um, sure. A 10-day contract, um, assuming they don't change anything, which is three games and maybe a practice, um, is going to be 75 grand. I don't think the fringe NBA players are going to be hurting necessarily under this deal. Um, you know, with the two-way contracts, um, I think that's going to you know, offer some young players an opportunity to get a look. I wonder, you know, if two-way uh, contracts that existed a few years ago, if Hassan Whiteside would have stuck around the league instead of bouncing around the Middle East, sure. eventually having to come back. You know, players like that are exactly who that's for. Um, and there's plenty of young guys in the league who are sort of on the fringe of the NBA that that will apply to. Europeans and foreign players will be affected by that as well, I'm imagining. Yeah, totally. And you can only go so far into sort of socializing the NBA. I think it's already been uh, the case over the past 20 years that the union has fought for the role players, the mid-tier guys, certainly under Derek Fisher, that was a, a major a major concern. Um, the, the whole idea of the individual max um, by default sort of um, props up the, the sort of underbelly of the league. Um, so the fact that, um, that Draymond can only make what he makes um, 
you know, helps out the the guy the other guys on the roster, you know, the Kevin Looney's sure. and the the Ian Clark's, um, you know, make their wages. He's all he's also quite free to take less in his less in his next contract, which will, you know, by default, um, leave more money for the rest of the league because <laughs> it sort of all goes into a big pot that they decide how to split up um based on what contracts they sign. So he he's free to sure. take a, a haircut next time if he really wants Ian Clark to get paid. <laughs> that would be very nice of him uh very nice of you to come on with us tom's really the hardest working person at sb nation especially now uh thanks for coming on uh this is really enlightening and like you i'm surprised that this got solved so quickly but i'm happy no lockout for the first time in yeah. 21 years that there is no lockout of any kind uh within the labor negotiation so that is fantastic news our summers will be spent um watching terrible summer league instead of spreading about spreading about hotel ballrooms and all that i I can't wait (laughs) well well thanks for coming on this was a great conversation really appreciate you taking the time yep thanks tom all right guys yep all right cool well that was awesome great to have tom back on the podcast breaking down the new collective bargaining agreement for us here thanks as always uh to mike Prada for uh, being a, a great day sidekick here mike hope you had a good time on this podcast we had tim cato on earlier uh that was great as well got to break down the uh, teams that might be tanking so that was fun and uh i guess until next time mike anything else uh thank you to our first sponsor uh mailchimp uh for sponsoring oh, yeah. thanks, the show thanks, uh and i hope you guys enjoy the intro song uh and that is pretty much it we'll be back next week uh with a special guest early in the week and then probably another one later in the week we're going to try to do two a week next week so that should be fantastic cool awesome well until next time then everybody limited upside podcast Integrate and connect your store with MailChimp in order to personalize and automate your marketing. Visit MailChimp.com to learn more.